0: Welcome to an inspirational message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. I love you. You're awesome. Thank you. Good morning, Creekwood Church, and happy 2018. Listen, when this landed on my calendar, I was more excited about this than Christmas. No lie. You can ask my family. I mean, Christmas came and went, and I thought, when can we get to January? So, hey, listen, if we've not had the privilege of meeting yet, um, and it would be my privilege meeting you, I just want you to know I genuinely do love you. When I first came to Creekwood, my love was about like this, and now, honestly, I can't stretch my arms wide enough. It's the size of Texas or bigger, and everything's bigger in Texas, so you know what that means. Let me just share a brief story with you. If we've not, again, had this conversation before, when um, I grew up in a very difficult circumstance like many of you, my mom was mentally ill, my dad was a recovering alcoholic, um, my husband had a heart attack a few years ago, my kids have been diagnosed with that same cholesterol disorder. You get it, right? You get brokenness, you get that life is painful and life is joyful as well. But in the middle of uh, my parents dying almost within three years of each other and losing both of them, Creekwood Church blessed me so richly, and it's in that moment that I think I knew that I would be tied to this church like forever. Whether I ever speak again, whether I can just sneak in and sit as an attender at some point, I bring my friends and family. In fact, I have a whole row of friends over here on the second row with me today. My family was here last night. I am one of your greatest fans. But it was on the way back from my dad's funeral, and if you've ever buried a parent, it's it's not easy, um, especially when you've seen them... Um, you know, disintegrate, like get sick and sick and sick in front of you. And um, I had just buried my father and I had returned home and we had caught our flight back to Dallas and it was late that night and on the doorstep was a big box and it was a beautiful box of roses that Creekwood Church had sent and they just said, we're so sorry that your dad passed away this week. And I mean, honestly, they didn't owe me that. We had not been talking every day or anything like that. But I want you to know when I drive into the parking lot, I get so excited. Because I think that you are sincere and that you're world changers and that something very special is happening an hour away from where I live in Mansfield, Texas. I love the sensitivity of this whole, to the Holy Spirit here. Sarah had no idea, but I was going to say some of what she said. And then when she got up here to speak of her friend, I just stood there in awe of God. Because it told me he's whispering things right now. He's here. He's present And exactly what I was going to say was some of you flipped your calendar over from 2017 and now you're in 2018. You're still walking through divorce. You've still been broken up with. You still don't have enough money. You still have cancer. You're still walking through those same very painful things. And then Sarah got up here and stood. She didn't crawl up here. She stood firmly and she said, he is good. He is good. Oh, he is good. And so, I mean, look, I feel like we could just go ahead and go home. Because that is what I needed today. So thank you for being so obedient. But today specifically, I want you to know I've been praying and preparing that we're supposed to talk about fights. Now, I, don't, I know I don't look like much, right? I'm not that intimidating. Look at my chicken wings. This, let me tell you, I know that if we said, let's take it outside right now, you would be more than okay with that. Because you'd be like, really, lady? What do you got? I'm 5'2". You know, I have two kids, I'm not exactly in shape, like I should be. And so all those things would, would possibly make you think, "Oh, she's not tough. Let me tell you, I am a warrior people. like I, I can fight. But I, I typically fight the wrong battles. I typically fight with my mouth. And, I, and, and I, can, I can argue. Can anyone else just be honest? I'm a vulnerable speaker. I hope you'll be vulnerable back. Anyone else like to argue in the room? Man, you think you've gone to bed and the Lord says, don't let the sun go down in your wrath, and I am sitting waiting for you. <laughs> my poor family, because I like to argue, right? And I like to talk and I like to, it's not really the winning. It's just like I want to settle things. I want closure. I want us to have peace at the end of it. And so I like, I like battles. A battle, I looked up the definition, is a determined effort towards something. A determined effort towards something. And I think a good battle is a good thing. And for those of us in the room who are warriors, if we're not careful, and here's the whole point of the talk, we could potentially be baited into the wrong battles to the point where we become distracted and we miss the very fight That we are created by God to fight. So today I'm going to be talking to you about the right fight. And I'm going to be looking specifically at one particular character in the Bible and his name is David. Now listen, let me just be frank with you again because I have a very short time with you. I think that we um, have an issue in the church right now with biblical literacy. Meaning we are waiting for who's ever going to teach us on Sundays or throughout the week to teach us the Bible. When the reality is there's plenty of bookstores all over the Metroplex selling Bibles. And I'm teaching to myself as well right now. I want us in the Word of God this month. This church is promoting a series called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. And I just want to encourage you, if you feel biblically illiterate, that's okay. Just start somewhere. Start somewhere. Open the Word of God. Give Him a chance to begin speaking through through the Word of God to you. And it's going to blow your mind. It's going to be better than any red box rental. Cancel the plans. Man, just cancel the vacation. Get, get a Bible in front of you and open it up, and it is going to show you things that you did not know. I really do believe that this is the year where we're going to open the Word of God. So today, I'm not going to be able to take a Scripture through Scripture, but I'm going to give you on the screens where we're going to land. And I beg you, if, if you don't hear another thing I say, go home and read 1 Samuel, okay? First Samuel, and then hopefully you'll read 2 Samuel, and you'll just keep on going from there. But today, we're going to look at the life of David. David is known worldwide, right? Even people who don't profess to know Jesus know about David and Goliath. And David, for the most part, is known for his victory of fighting this giant Philistine with some rocks and a slingshot. That's how people have come to know him. But I would beg to say that that's probably not his greatest victory. If you look closely at David's life, I truly do believe we'll find that his greatest victory is because he was a warrior, he was very careful with which battles he was baited into. Have you ever heard the verse, I heard this verse growing up, and I love it, and we should, we should apply it to our lives, but have you ever heard, when you're faithful with the small things, God will make you rulers over much. And that is true. We are to be faithful with the small things. The majority of the times in my life so far from the seasons I've lived, I've learned that God has blessed me as he's shown that, you know what, I'm raising my kids or I'm taking care of home or I'm being a good steward of my finances, and then it seems that he just gives me more and more and more. And I love that verse, and again, I think we should apply it. But I also think that some of what it means about be, be uh, diligent with the little things, it means letting some things stay small. So Creekwood Church, if I've driven an hour to tell you anything else, it's to tell you you need to let some things in your life stay small. Now, that's hard for us warriors because we want to fight and we want to be drawn into battles and we want to make sure that we're involved in so many things. But I have found very recently in my life that I, have, I can be accused of being a distracted leader because I didn't let some things stay small so that I could be focused on the big things that God has for me. When we have a big plan and a big anointing on our lives and when we go and engage in the small things, possibly it's your calendar calendar, Possibly it's what you're spending all your money on. Possibly look back through your text threads. Maybe you're, you're, you're spending too much time on some things that God wants you to keep small. If we don't let those things stay in their small place and let them stay small, again, we're going to miss out on the adventure of a lifetime. I tell the young adults that I work with all the time, that, uh, there's this John Orderberg quote that the adventure of yes is more alive than the safety of no. But we're going to miss out on the adventures that God has for us because, again, we're distracted and we're strung too thin. You and I, I believe, are called to bigger battles. And so today we're going to look at David. Now, there's going to be so much I'm going to share about David, and we're not going to have time to cover it all, but please go back and look. Right now, the first time we hear about David, it's when he's called up from the backfield to be anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel. Currently, the king of Israel is King Saul, Okay. And King Saul is currently in leadership, and he is heads and shoulders above the rest. He's got a vocabulary. I would imagine he would look the part. He's got the war experience. I mean, he's it. He's the guy, but he started to do something. He stopped listening to the Lord. And so the Lord says, I'm going to remove my favor from you, King Saul. And he goes and he asks Samuel to go ahead and anoint someone else. He says, I want you to anoint someone else, King. And he is the son of Jesse, okay? So Samuel responds to God like this. I'm sorry, you want me to do what? You want me to go take away someone's kingship and anoint someone else king? He's going to kill me. Does the Lord ever ask you to do ridiculous things? Do you ever have arguments? I would dare say if you're not having arguments with the Lord, you're probably missing out on the, the adventures of a lifetime. I can't tell you how many times he's called me to awkward. In fact, people tell me back home, you're like the pastor of awkward. <laughs> you make us feel awkward, and you continually do the most awkward things. And it's because I truly do believe heaven's telegraphing stuff to us. Heaven is telegraphing stuff to us. In church, I think we're missing it. And so right now, here, I mean, you look, the Bible is littered with these types of examples of awkward. And so he says, look, Samuel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go take the you know, the, the kingship from Saul, and I want you to anoint a new king. So they have this argument back and forth, and, but here's what's great about God. He gives us our daily bread. Someone needs to hear this. What, people ask me all the time, what am I supposed to do? And you know what I say? Do the last thing he told you to do. What's the last thing he told you to do? And whatever when the last thing he told you to do, if you've done that, then it's time to go sit in front of your king again. You're about to go into 21 days of prayer. Jeremiah 33.3 3 says, pray to me and I will show you hidden things you did not know. So if he's promising that he's going to show us hidden things that we didn't know yesterday, but he's going to show us tomorrow, man, there should be an urgency and an expectancy for us to get up in the morning and say, wait, you've got some things to tell me. And so that's what Samuel does. He's like, well, how are we going to do this? And God's going to do the miraculous. He's going to give him his daily bread. He's going to tell him how he's going to pull it off. Why do we think we have to figure it all out? He's going to show him. And so what does he do? He says, look, I'm going to give you a cover. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a sacrifice. I want you to be at the right place at the right time. I want you to go into Jesse's house, prepare a meal, and then just take my notes from there. And again, that why... Those of us who are adventurous, listen, I've jumped out of a plane recently. I've ridden in a helicopter. I've done a lot of crazy things. I know I'm not in a midlife crisis. I know I'm at that age, so don't panic. But I'm not in a midlife crisis. I just am the type of person that feels like life is brief, like Sarah was describing. And, man, it's meant to be lived to the fullest, and I want to experience it while I'm here. And so, But again, as Christians, we make it so boring because we refuse to accept these awkward assignments. But I love that the Bible is going to give us an example of someone who was willing to accept it. So Samuel says, look, okay, I'll go ahead and go with this. I'm freaked out. I'm scared. He's going to kill me. But I'm going to do what you say to do. And then he says, when you get there, I want you to know that he has eight sons. One of them is the next king of Israel, Okay. Again, insert yourself in the awkward story that is now unfolding in front of our eyes. I want you to take your horn of oil, and I will describe that in detail in just a moment for those of you who aren't familiar with what that means. I want you to take your horn of oil, and I want you to prepare to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the next king of Israel. So Samuel arrives at Jesse's house, and all the sons line up. Go with me in Scripture now in 1 Samuel 16, 6 through 7. Again, read all around it. There's not enough time today. It says, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Now, let me stop right there. Eliab was the oldest son. You got a visual picture? I love when I read the Bible, I imagine celebrities and stuff like that. And I think, I wonder what he'd look like. Like, or what would what, what he talk like? What did, what did he act like? What, what, made, what made Samuel, when that guy walked in the room, oh, that, that's it. Like, that's it. Like, that's, he's the next king, right? And so it says that surely this is the Lord's anointed, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. See, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them, Creekwood Church. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I hope that encourages you today. Some of us have taken ourselves off that that the Lord's not going to be able to use us because of maybe our outward appearance or because of our education. My dad only had a third year, um, only had a, a third grade education. And for years, I saw him traumatized by that. But listen, God says, I look at the heart. And so he lines all eight sons up, right? And he basically says, when he says, look, Iliab, that's the one, right, God? And God says, no, I've rejected him. So Samuel goes one by one through all seven sons until he gets to the end. And then he's looking around, and again, he gives us our daily bread. And so the Lord's speaking to him, and he's like, look, Jesse, do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, yeah, actually, I do. It's the, he's the baby of the family. He's actually in the, in the back um, taking care of the sheep right now. He's out there. So Samuel instructs him, hey, I want you to go and get him and bring him in right now. Now, no one would be able to sit down and eat because this is a long wait. Because last time I checked, they didn't keep their sheep in the backyard. That the shepherds would actually have to go somewhere overnight to take care of the sheep. So that tells me that it was probably a pretty long distance away. And then once they time, they got to David to say, hey, dad's calling you to come into the house. I would imagine they had to replace him with a surrogate shepherd because somebody had to take care of the sheep. So there's all this craziness going on. And again, I love the tension of the story. Someone had to go locate David. It's taking too much time. The entire time, I would imagine, Samuel's likely saying that no one sits down until he gets here. I didn't come here to eat with you. I came to anoint the next king of Israel, so we're all going to stand. Now, I have about 10 pages of notes. I'm only on page 4, so why don't we go ahead and stand until I finish my notes. Would you, would you be okay with that? Can you, I just want to create some tension here. Do you understand that all these guys have been rejected? They're waiting on the baby of the family to get in. Samuel's probably freaking out, thinking at any moment he's going to die if this plan fails. God, would you give us plans that are going to make us feel like we're going to die this year? Would you help us be that dangerous this year, Lord? And so here we are in the middle of the story, and they're looking for David, and they go find David, and he says, we're all going to stand, right? And so then they step, and they're, they're waiting for David to come in, and David's getting ready to come in. And David comes back into the house, and they're just like, you know, oh, my gosh, like, what do we do now? And listen, David was a good shepherd. Now, all the feelings that must have been in that room, right? You know what I love about David is he knows kind of what's happening now because he knows what it means to be anointed. When you and I think of anointed, what do we think? We think of, ooh, chill bumps, right? We think of charisma. We think of someone who's anointed. Man, they look the part. They dress a certain way. They speak a certain way. They can string words together in a way that no one's ever heard before. They're captivating. They keep us on the edge of their seats. But that's not what anointing used to mean. Anointing used to mean something very different. It it meant to smear with oil. Now, why did someone smear an animal with oil? Why would the shepherd smear his flock with oil? That's a great question. David understood what it meant to take care of his sheep. So listen, if you're a shepherd and you've got a flock to take care of, and you see a lion coming and you're a shepherd... What do you do? Well, you kill that lion because that's a predator and you can't afford for anything to be hurting your animals. And as a shepherd, if you saw a bear coming, it said that the Lord said that David would then kill the bear because the bear could potentially hurt the sheep as well. But at this point, David realizes that, wait a minute, there's actually something that could hurt these animals that I can't see. And that's this thing called a mite. So what he would do is he would smear with oil. He would pour oil over the head of his sheep. And then he would take the oil and he would massage it into the ears of the shepherd. And he would take his time, because that's what good shepherds do. They take care of the little things for a while. And he would massage the anointing into the ears of the sheep, all the way down into the legs of the lamb. Starting at the head, into the ears, all the way down to the legs. Now, why would he do this? Again, because he understood, I can see the lion, I can see the bear, but there are some predators out there that I can't see. This little microscopic mite would crawl up the hooves from the ground, and it would get into the front legs of the sheep until it would then crawl all the way up the sheep, and it would get into the ear of the sheep. The goal of the mite, listen to this, was to infest the ear until it could burrow down into the brain of the sheep, causing the sheep to go mad. Now, sheep as animals, they, they wanted to be in community. They wanted to be close. They would die of fright. If you study sheep, they weren't known for being isolated or not away from their flock. Man, they stayed in groups for a reason. But if one of these mites were to actually be successful into burrowing down into the brain of the sheep, it would cause the sheep to go absolutely mad. The first sign of a shepherd would have that his flock was being attacked by a mite was that one lamb would take off running away from the flock, which again is totally against the nature of the sheep. And it would go mad and it would run away from its place of safety. It would be vulnerable to attack. Do you understand now when it says, I leave the one, the 99, to go find the one? He does that for us. He reaches out to us in a way that only a shepherd would reach out to his flock. He's the kind of shepherd, Creekwood Church, that wants to be sure that these mites don't don't get into the ears of his flock, into their mind space, creating division. Anyone have some relationships right now that are divided? That's the enemy. That's what he wants. You know why? Because he needs you and I tired and he needs you and I distracted. He needs you and I giving up. He needs you and I focusing on the small things so that we miss the Goliath battles ready for us in our lives. His backfilled faithfulness is actually what drew the Lord to David's heart. David would take such good care of these sheep and he would do things in secret and he would worship the Lord. And he had these disciplines in worship and prayer and the daily stuff that no one else saw. I tell young leaders all the time, that's the stuff that matters. Being seen on the Instagram reel and the highlight reels and your name all over the place. That stuff's cool and it makes me feel good and it makes you feel good. But the stuff that matters is the stuff that no one is seeing. It's just, it's just kneeling before the Lord. It's that time in with God because he's giving all these radical, cool assignments to us. He's positioning us in front of the king that's going to hire us. I talk to young adults all the time, man, I want this job. And I said, where do you currently work? Well, I work here. Do a good job there. Do a good job there so that when that guy that, from that corporation or that woman, that CEO comes through and she sees you doing a good job there... Oh, she's going to want to hire you. Man, be, be, be faithful with the little things so that you can leave the small to the bigger things. And so that's what David was known for. God looked at him, but not because of his shiny leadership skills, but because he knew he was disciplined to know how to care for things that were given to him. He was a shepherd. Write this down. It'll be on the screen behind me. He knows that it doesn't matter if you're marketed by man, if you're marketed by God. We, we, we twist that. We get that all backwards and think we need, listen, it's true. We need each other. We need support. We need crowd campaigns. We need all that stuff. But when it comes to the God stuff that he wants to fulfill in our lives, man, we need to be marketed by him. He knows that it doesn't matter that you are no one else's choice when you are God's choice. And last time I checked, every man and, this, and woman and child in this room is God's choice. It doesn't matter that your older brothers don't affirm or acknowledge any skill and that you constantly feel like you're being shoved to the backfield. You're invisible to anyone else with all of their ambitions in the room. You know what you're doing? You're focusing on the wrong stuff. And you're going to stay stuck there because he's wanting you to focus on the outrageous assignments and the awkward instead. God doesn't always look at the battlefield but at the backfield to see how faithful you are there. So we find Samuel there, and we find that, that he's now got um, that Jesse is there, and now David's there. But now I want to focus on King Saul for a second. In the midst of this, King Saul, the Lord says, he took his favor from King Saul, and now King Saul is tormented. He's still in the palace. They've not switched out who's on the throne yet. They've anointed David, but there's this. The Bible doesn't tell us everything in between. So it seems like there's this waiting period. Does anyone else get frustrated with waiting? I can't stand it. I'm not only a warrior, but I'm an activator. If you put an Oreo cookie in front of me, it will disappear. I don't have a lot of self-control and stuff like that. I want it now. And so, <laughs> it's true, I ate one last night and this morning. Um, you know, here, here's, here's what's interesting, because we're going to find that he now knows that he's king, right? He now knows that he's king and that he's waiting for all of this to happen. And yet he's going to be forced to wait even longer. He's going to be wait to force even longer. So they see that Samuel now is in the, back in the palace. He's going crazy. And so they summon David and they say, David, we know that you're a harp player and a worshiper. We need you to come right now and we need you to play for the king. And so for the first time, we're going to see that David walks into his palace. And he's going to see his throne for the first time. Now, again, what would you and I do? I'd walk right up there and say, excuse me, go ahead and let me sit down. Like, I'm, I'm ready to take this over. But instead, the incredible discipline and the faithfulness of David is going to show us something very different. He's not going to be baited into the wrong battle right here. He's going to do what he was asked to do. And he's going to walk up and he's going to begin to play For the king, and the the Bible actually says the king's nerves are going to settle a bit, and now everybody's going to have this peaceful moment. So they bring David in. Now, can you imagine? Again, he's just been promised that he's going to be the next king, and he's now the heart player, and he has to wait. No one can measure the moments or the time. The fact you the the time you take intentionally with God, but when you worship in the private spaces of your life, it's actually preparing you for what's next. Why do we resist those moments of waiting so badly when God is using them as times of preparation in our life for what's next? Man, lean into those this month. So Saul was so pleased with him, and everything's going well. And now we're going to find that, um, that he's going to take some more time to do something else. They're now going to go and find him um, back in the... They're going to to send him back out to the backfield. He's going to take the sheep, and he's going to start serving there. The Bible would actually say that David was bivocational. He would play the harp, and he would worship in front of the king, and then he'd go back and take care of the sheep. And he would go back and forth and back and forth until it was time for him to become king. But let's jump back into the story now. Here's where Goliath comes onto the scene. There's this giant man who's bullying and throwing her uh, throwing terrible comments to the children of Israel and he's he's threatening to kill them and hurt them and David's taking care of the sheep and King Saul's on the throne and Goliath is fighting the children of Israel during this time and so Jesse sends some of his sons out there to help with this this battle for Goliath And Jesse, finally, after 40 days, he starts to get a little worried because he's like, gosh, I've not heard anything. They've been at war now for all this time. I'm wondering if my sons are okay. So he sends for David. And he sends for David because he wants to know, look, you know, uh, I haven't heard from your brothers for very long. I I need you to go and check on your brothers, right? Right. Here's what I want you to do, David. I want you to bring some bread and some cheese and some and come back with some reports from the battlefield. What's going on? Are they okay? Now, isn't it crazy to think that here's the next king and his dad still sees him like a messenger and a pizza delivery guy? This is crazy. You mean to tell me, Dad, that you want me to go check on my brother's... And bring them some food. And bring them a picnic lunch. You still don't see the favor of God on my life. Perhaps is there someone in this room that feels like that today? That you feel like everybody's just like, oh my gosh, God, I feel so misunderstood by you. I would encourage you to be patient. Exodus thirteen thirteen says, be still, I will fight for you. And so that's what David's going to do. What does he say to his dad? Okay, you want me to take bread and cheese and go check on my brothers? I'll go do that. So David goes on to the scene. Listen, when God wants you to get, to get you to the front of the line, your anointing of your anointing, the invitation might often be awkward. Here's that word again, awkward. So many times, if you just listen to the way he's taking you down the roads, there's a reason and a purpose in it. And so it may seem like some of the assignments, Creekwood Church, you've been asked to do are beneath you. Perhaps you want to fight the battle for acknowledgement. You want your father, or insert who's ever named there, your husband, your wife, your boss, your kids, to see you in a certain light, to finally see the skills that you have, to see the time you've put in. And instead of being seen as a warrior, you're being asked to take someone a snack. I want to encourage you to hang tight and be patient. Listen, God will use these random and awkward opportunities to get us to the right place at the right time. Be careful that you don't fight for acknowledgement and you miss the moment. Again, you want to be baited into the wrong battle? Fight for yourself all the time. Stay stuck there. You have fun with that. I would prefer to go ahead and find Goliath at some point. And so we're going to need God to help us do that this month. The right fight, the one we are anointed to fight and win is to keep our hearts open before the Lord. You know what's hard to do is to be submissive. That's Show me someone who's submissive and I will show you a warrior. Show me someone who says, I will be happy to serve you. I will throw a towel over my arm. I will go to the back of the line. Isn't that who Jesus modeled for us to be? And so that's what David says. He refuses to get defensive in his heart, and God's gonna do something miraculous. So he walks onto the battlefield, he's, he checks it out, and there's no battle. No one's fighting this big Philistine. And so he's like, What in, what in the world's going on? So he starts asking some questions, and he's like, Hey, you know, like, what's going on, and why is no one fighting him? And all of a sudden, his older brother, Eliab, the first one that was rejected, comes up, and the Bible says, Man, he is frustrated. And here's Goliath saying, we aren't going to do this army to army. No, I'm going to bring this down here, and I'm going to make this personal. I want to go man to man with somebody. Send me somebody to fight me. So you've got all this chaos going on, and Iliab hears David asking these questions. And then Iliab attacks his brother. If it wasn't embarrassing and bad enough that he's asked to be the pizza delivery guy from his dad, his brother's going to try and smear him publicly. Has anyone ever been roasted publicly before? You don't have to raise your hand. It's awful. It's awful. And maybe some of you are stuck looking at your accusers over and over again right now, and you're even having to serve your accusers. It's awful. And Eliab is speaking with the men, and he sees David speaking with the men, and he says, Why have you come down here, David? And with whom did you leave these sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and wicked your heart is. You've only come down here to watch the battle. You want to talk about being baited into the wrong battle? You say that to me? When you know that that is not your heart, what is our temptation to do to put our gloves on and start swinging? But again, he's going to be patient and he's going to open his heart up to God. I'm sure he was thinking things like, now what have I done? Can I not even speak? Doesn't that sound like something the baby of the family would say? I'm the baby of the family of four. Man, I always felt like, can I do anything right around here? You guys are always accusing me of doing something wrong. When I read this, though, I couldn't move past this critical part right here in the story between the exchange of a brother to another brother, Eliab and David. David appeared, appealed to King Saul, and Saul told him that what he was doing was okay. And he said to him, basically, if you get caught up in these small battles, you're going to miss it. Can you imagine in history if he would have gotten in a fight with Iliab instead of Goliath? Can you imagine how ridiculous that would be, that he would be sitting there fighting his accuser instead of fighting this giant beast of a man? David says to him, you are accusing me of a wicked heart. And listen, that's, that's not who I am. But watch this. He didn't take up his defense in a screaming match. He didn't do that. You know what the Bible says? No one had a heart like David. You know what it said? That David had a heart after God's own heart. That David was God's man. And I think the Bible wants us to do that same thing. And let me just be truthful, for you with, truthful with you for a moment. I've allowed myself lately to get to a place where I care too much about what people think of me. I'm fighting some silly battles right now because I'm so consumed. It there is there's mental gymnastics going on in my head right now. Cuz I'm so focused on how to fix and and how you perceive it and how I'm going to And it's like the Lord just keeps breaking me and saying, "Get on your knees. Get on your knees. Talk to me. Surrender. Don't fight back. Close your mouth." be submissive, lean into me, watch me show off. If our posture is defensive because we're worried about being misjudged or mocked by those that are close to us, we're never going to move this space, move out of the space we're in, and we're going to miss our one and only Goliath fight because we're over here on the sidelines fussing with the older brother. When you step into the thing you were born and created to do as I close, when you step into that moment, that moment that you are taking people from the other side of the railroad tracks, Creekwood Church, into, that, into community for the first time. When you, when you start taking people that feel unloved and showing them that there's a God who loves them. When you start taking talented people and walking them to the fronts of the lines of your organizations because you know that God has called them. And you believe in them. When you are willing to lay your hobbies down. And you put your bank accounts on the line. And even your personal rest. Because you know that there are people out there who do not know that Jesus is for them and not against them. When you are willing to teach people in churches that there is no sin in the room. That he cannot cover. Shame on us pastors for making anyone think that you are too unloved or were unworthy to be in church. The last time I checked, he died for all of us. And that we are all sinners, all of us, saved by grace. When you are willing to move hurting people off ledges, that moment when you're willing to spend all of your resources to see that others have what they need, When you teach people that their worth is in Christ, you will offend people. You will frustrate people. You will have people whispering about you. You will have people trying to take you out, and they might be successful. But he's still good. He's still good. And he's all up in the awkward, and he is he is telegraphing things to heaven from us. When I was driving here, and I was praying for you last night, all I could think was, this church is going to serve as a well for you this year. Those of you who are parched and dry and feel completely like you are on, like you are, this is it. This is the last year you got it in you. You are about to walk away from your faith. I want to encourage you to come to the living water that does not run out. You know, recently I had a conversation with someone. They said they feel like they're never going to be enough for me. And you know what? I looked at them dead in the face. I said, you will never be enough for me. And I will never be enough for you. Because we can't be each other's breathable air. We can't. There's a reason why they say take the oxygen mask, parents, and put it on yourself and then put it on your child. So if this, is not happening with you, we can't do this, right? We can't. We're too tired. We're too dry. We're too egotistical, narcissistic. We're too judgmental. And so Creekwood Church, as I leave you today, I want to encourage you to take this 21 days of prayer so seriously. You may say, Libba, I don't want to pray. You know why? Because I'm going to have to, like, tell God what I've done. Did you know that he already knows your sins? We're not, why are we hiding Come out of hiding and tell him. Well, I'm afraid he's going to ask me to do something that I don't need or want to do. First of all, he's going to ask you to do something you need to do. But he's going to give you the support. The enemy's lying to you to say you're going to be all by yourself. He'll he'll give you the strength. Did Samuel end up dead? Absolutely not. And so I want to encourage you as I pray today to take this 21 days of prayer and fasting seriously. Come to the altar. Lay it all out there. And whatever you do, please don't allow the enemy to bait you into the wrong battle this year. Ask the Lord, God, palms up. What battles do you really want me to be focused on this year? Would you keep me safe from being too distracted and focusing on the battles that I have no business engaging in right now? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this community Lord, I can't imagine what's going on right now in heads and hearts because I, I already hear some things in my own. It's like I need a, a private room to myself just to go and weep for a little bit. Lord Jesus, I pray for the angry one in this room. Only you can soften anger. And I also know that you're comfortable with it. I know that you, in fact, were angry. So, Lord, I pray you'll be close to that angry one right now. Lord Jesus, I pray for the one that you may be asking to leave, to go do something so significant for you. And they want to play it safe. God, I just pray you'll push them out of the nest today. And Lord, I pray if there's any man or woman who came to service today and they said, their words to you were, this is it. This is my last service. I don't, I don't, I don't have the strength to keep this faith thing up anymore. May they be blown away in the name of Jesus that you, not me, right now are saying their name. And telling them that it's not over. This is just the beginning. That you are going to replenish. You're going to restore what the locusts have eaten in their life. God, I pray for the bored in this room. The ones that are bored. I pray Jeremiah 33.3 pray to me and I will show you hidden things you did not know take us into the greatest adventures of our lifetime not the ones with Iliab but the ones with Goliath in 2018 it's in your name I pray amen thank you for listening for more messages and information about Creekwood Church visit us at creekwoodchurch.com